everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Myo Minds podcast. I'm your host, George, and today I'm here with Rob. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Um, I got a bit of a sniffly nose, but I know that you've, you've just had your, your COVID jab. Was it today or y- yesterday? Uh, yesterday, lunch, though. Um, had some paracetamol. I'm feeling a little bit achy, but okay. <laughs> yeah, Couple yeah. Rest. Yeah, we were speaking just off off the off the mic about how it seems to some people seem to get like completely hit like hit by it like it's like getting hit by a truck and then some people are just like seem kind of kind of seem fine. There's no really in between. No, I just um, I was saying that I just I was I've been thirsty all night, so I haven't <laughs> slept very much. I've literally just been uh, sort of drinking drinking water, but it seems to have seems to have helped some paracetamol, some water. Okay. Hope, hopefully, we don't have to take too many pee breaks. Um, that's one thing that people don't don't understand about podcasts is sometimes you need a pee and you have to. You know, it's it's a it's a it's unwritten unwritten laws of, of podcasting that sometimes you have to edit out a pee break. Um, anyway, enough about peeing. Uh, <laughs> so, um, me and Rob know each other. We actually we met about it's probably was it a year or two years ago now, a year and a half, something like that. Um, well, it must be over a year because we've not been allowed to yeah to meet since. Yeah. yeah that's true yeah i think it's probably a couple of years at nottingham uni wasn't it yeah um we were at the eating disorders in men and boys conference at nottingham uni and we we met each other there and we've just been speaking ever since um and you have some really kind of interesting research interests and I know you work in the kind of researchy field and um and then you know after we've been speaking for probably a year and a half and I, I never really heard your story and you kind of mentioned it like you mentioned bits and pieces of it properly and I was like oh, this is you know it sounds incredible what you've what like how you've come from such like depths and come out the other side and yeah, I just, I just wanted to speak to you about it. But before we do get onto your story, um can you tell everyone a little bit about what you're currently doing? Yeah, um, so at the moment, um, well, at the moment, I'm sort of, um, I work for a university um, and also do uh, counselling as well. Um, I just qualified as a counsellor and psychotherapist um, in in September, complete my master's. And um, during that, I I did some research. My research project was about uh, muscle muscle dysmorphia from a psychotherapeutic uh, viewpoint. And um, following on from that, um, I've kind of developed a bit of an interest in looking at the use of talking therapy and exercise as sort of like almost a dual treatment. So um, in September, I started a doctorate um, and the very sort of loose hope at the moment, because I'm right at the beginning, is to um, see if um, like gym based exercise um, can be used in combination with talking therapy. Um, to create a yeah sort of like a a dual a dual treatment for um even a for for different things we're looking at anxiety and disorder uh, depression probably first and then 
you know, seeing what else is there. So at the moment, I'm just starting out having a look at what research is out there already and how feasible it is and um, sort of uh, going from there. But we've spoken as well about joint research interest that we've got, yeah. um, looking more about, you know, sort of male body image and, um, but predominantly trying to get more mental health um, information support training whatever you want to sort of call it into into the exercise arena in particular in, in into gyms because you know they're, they're great places to go and the great you know exercise is obviously really good for you know releasing endorphins and making you feel better um, but sometimes that just isn't isn't enough well that, that's my opinion I don't think it's enough yeah, I think I you have to be able to look at where you know, where the issues that are causing you to feel, you know, not great, you know, anxious, depressed, whatever, where they're coming from and um, look at them at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. And um, I think we're, we've already kind of pre-planned that we're going to do a, a whole podcast talking about our our interests in these kind of things. And um, I feel like we could talk for hours about that. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, um, yeah, the idea uh, that you, you said it yourself, but that that whole idea that um, I think exercises and quite rightly is seen as this kind of like wonder drug for health and mental health. And there's a lot of research that shows that it do, I'm, I'm sure you, you know yourself that it shows that it, it does help people with their mental health and it does help people with their physical health, like physiologically. Um, but because of that, there seems to be this kind of ignored side of just like, Oh, well, if you do exercise, then you're, then you're fine. But it's, it's not always the case. Um, and I think more needs to be, taught about that kind of stuff i suppose um and yeah that's something that we we've spoke about before um but this podcast i want to talk about the life that you have lived and the the ups and downs and and honestly what i think is just an incredible story and the fact that you've you've kind of gone through all that and you're doing everything you're doing now i think is is insane it's, it's amazing um so i guess um we start from the beginning um and i know that you mentioned off recording that it were, at school time was difficult you were kind of bullied at school and you had some issues around food yeah yeah um sort of it's it's weird like I, my my parents got divorced when I was seven which for me wasn't isn't really um an issue in terms of my story but it's kind of the the sort of starting point because um I don't really remember too much before then but you know I sort of moved to a new junior school and um you know moved away from friends that I had only across the side of Derby but you know I was quite young so it had an impact and I found I found school difficult I wasn't and I never felt like I really fit in I wasn't sort of a typical lad that would want to play football or rugby or anything like that and I you know sort of went through school you know being quite you know, different to the norm. A school that I went to, you know, football and rugby were big things and, you know, all the, you know, quote unquote popular people were playing football. And and so I kind of got, I suppose, yeah, I was bullied. I always struggled with that word for some reason because it's kind of a lot of just name calling, but it, you know, it, it was, it was bullying. And yeah. the funny thing is, is that, you know, the name, the, the most common name that I got called was, you know, sort of, gay and you know all the other sort of negative terms that go around that um but the you know I'm, I was I am gay and it was that was difficult as well because I was mm. kind of 
having different probably feelings to you know other people and and not really sure what was what was happening and you know in terms of um you know I had, had nice had a good family have a good family um had had friends um I wasn't just you know sort of spending my whole time on my own but you know I it, it really did um have an impact on my confidence and I think it still doesn't now although I I'm able to mask it quite quite well um but um you know I you know I'm always a bit uh, cautious sometimes when meeting people and new people especially uh sort of guys I think um straight guys because I you know worry that there's that immediate kind of like are they going to call me gay and I have to kind of remind myself that I am and that's fine and, and I don't care you know um yeah and then- I think, sorry, sorry to butt in but I, f- I feel like that like yeah that is such a um obviously a difficult thing that a lot of people in in the kind of lgbt community you know plus community go through um is that i suppose when you when you're younger and hopefully it's starting to change now because there's more kind of um awareness coming out and, and kind of acceptance and you know, people are are being better towards it i hope so anyway um, but that must be such a difficult thing to be, you know, someone calling you something in the negative way and you kind of actually being like, well, I think I actually am. That must be something that must be such a difficult. Um, yeah, such a, a kind of strange concoction of emotions that go along with. That. Yeah, it, it was it was because it's kind of like, um, like you say, what I mean, what was funny was that at the time when I was at school, not to age me too much, but queer as folk came out on telly and it was groundbreaking because it was the first kind of out there sort of gay sort of series that really sort of probably played up to a lot of stereotypes and everybody at school spoke about it it would take one person to mention it and then people were talking about it everybody watched it and everybody was like thought it was great and all this stuff but yet still those same people that thought it was great would still then use you know gay or homo or whatever as as a sort of a, a negative a negative term and I think you know that was quite an interesting sort of thing um yeah yeah I'm sorry I butted in you can um, carry on with with what you were going through no, no. um but I, yeah um I yeah so I think you know I did well at school and you know I got okay well I got good GCSEs I got okay A-levels you know I had a nice nice family and things like that my family were actually not that I, I didn't come out until I was like 18, 19, but, um, you know, my family had no issue with, you know, sort of, um, you know, would have, wouldn't have had any issue and don't have any issue with me being gay or anything like that. But just school was just uh, difficult. And I suppose what I've noticed that is when, when I'm stressed and, you know, or you know, when I'm not feeling great, I look out for things that I can control and what I did um was work out that I can you know you can control weight quite easily and I was you know quite young I didn't I didn't you know put weight on easily I was quite you know lucky um you know and and interestingly enough because I was sort of you know a lot of my friends were girls and around those kind of influences and things like that and and you know stuff to do with whatever I thought um, my sort of control mechanism was to to lose weight. Um, it never got like a really, it was never a massive issue. I was never sort of having to have treatment for it. But there were periods in, in life where I'd use weight to 
sort of control stress and just uh, you know restrict restrict eating or um you know purge you know sort of eat and purge and, and things like that it was never like a, a big thing but I think it actually started um it was that sort of control and and then also leading to kind of escapism that I wanted to escape the world that I was in because I didn't fit in and I didn't really know what what else to do I kind of you know watch films and tv would imagine that I'd be different places and things like that you know just sort of you know quite casually but looking back I can see that sort of led into to sort of what what happened next and um so yeah overall school was a pretty mixed bag it was it was um it wasn't great for for a lot of reasons but I did have some some really good good friends um and I, and I came out of it and I suppose all these sort of things that I've been through kind of helped make me who I am now yeah in a way yeah I I, I resonate with the the um eating and the kind of the control around that and I'm sure everyone on this podcast has, has heard my story um but you know that that idea of um almost like escapism I suppose yeah like a when you like especially with the purging and stuff that I, I used to go do it would be almost uh, obviously I can't relate entirely to your story but it would be in those moments of, of kind of anxiety and stress it would be something that I could do and I know and I know what I don't know I just felt it felt almost comfortable like you know um that purging that I, I did the self-induced vomiting and you know I, I would you know that I that control around that just felt comfortable for some reason to me yeah, it, it's 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 hard to explain to somebody. I suppose he doesn't he hasn't hasn't done it. But for me, I think now if I am really stressed or nervous or anxious about something, my immediate thing, and and it's not even something that I have to try and do. I will be ill, and and it just releases and then I calm down straight away. And it's not something that I particularly, um, you know, want to be able to do, or I don't particularly enjoy that reaction. But it's just something. I suppose my body's learnt um and and you know obviously doing that sort of stuff it you know kept me thin and kept me quite quite slim and stuff like that and and that's interesting because that's you know sort of looking at my body image I was kind of you know probably the guys playing football and rugby wanted to you know get stronger and bigger and I was going the complete opposite way so everything that kind of was in my head kind of was out of place with where where I was, and the first time I think, you know, I'm like mid, well, late thirties, and it's the first time I've ever actually actively wanted to, you know, sort of put on weight and and muscle, and it's a it's it's a it's a weird struggle, like it's a struggle to do it, um, but it's also and sort of get that consistency and sort of training and eating and things, but it's also a weird concept for me to kind of get into my head that I, I I want to completely change how how my my body is in a way which is which is um interesting and that kind of is why I, I get really interested in you know stuff like muscle dysmorphia or, or male body image and things like that because it's I think it's a lot more complex than people people think yeah and I yeah I agree um I think that the idea of the the transition from um, a more kind of um, thinness ideal and, and you know people I think I think there's, a, there's actually a case study um, 
that that I've read, and I, I want to say it's like Stuart Murray and Scott Griffiths because they're just the the, the two. Well, there's, there's also like Jason Nagata and, and all, all other people as well, but the, those two seem to come up in in all the studies um, to do to do with muscle dysmorphia. So I want to say that it's probably them. Um, but they did a study on someone who kind of um, a similar story to to myself, and in, um, in the way that he started off with that anorexia kind of, you know, the, the classic anorexia thing of wanting to lose weight, you know, um, restricting food and, and exercising to burn calories. Um, but then somewhere along the line, they, it, he, this case study transitioned into a mus- more muscle dysmorphia where they thought, actually, now I want to get bigger. And, and that mm. weird, you know, that one of the issues with muscle dysmorphia, especially one of my biggest interests is, and I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going into the researchy side too much here. This should be for the other podcast, but um, the, the muscle-oriented disordered eating that that comes comes along with mus, mus, muscle dysmorphia mm. is the idea of those contrasting goals of a lot of people who have muscle dysmorphia um, want to be bigger, but also want to be sh- like shredded, so to speak. You know, in the in the mm. inverted commas. So you both you both want to gain weight and lose weight at the same time. Um, and that's obviously so like so interesting and um and often leads to people taking things like steroids and stuff mm. um but yeah it's a, such an interesting kind of area um but i i digress and i, I want to carry on with your story so um i know that uh, alcohol played a big part in your story as well um so where, where did this kind of first come in um i think it it kind of crept up out of nowhere i um, in my in the last year of my A levels, I towards the end of it, I I drank quite a lot. When you know we'd have house parties and stuff, and I'd always be the one that was like being sick or sort of being taken home. And then I had a year off between university and um, between my A levels and university, and I had a really good year. And I don't, you know, I think I went out and you know went to bars and stuff every so often. But a lot of the time, I was doing I was kind of, um, you know, breaking away from school a bit. I, was, I tried loads of different courses that I, you know, that you just not aren't available in school. So I was doing like Japanese. I did a photography course. Um, I did um, some computer type things, uh, a life drawing class, and just tried anything really, um, and and worked quite a lot as well. And and that was and that was a really good year. And then I went to uh, Newcastle. Uh, to Northumbria University and I studied I got a place uh, uh, to study law which which was great and but I kind of picked it because I didn't really know what else I wanted to do somebody suggested that I you know that law is a good thing to do so I did it um I went up and you know got I got on the course went up and um and that was a massive escape it's sort of escape from Derby and you know it's quite small smallish place but compared to Newcastle it is really small and I could kind of I felt like I was going to try and you know sort of almost reinvent myself or you know re-establish myself as a person and and things and and at first it kind of was was good and but you know you soon realize that you can't geography isn't going to help you with you know issues you know relating to mental health and things like that no matter where you are you are going to take them with you and I you know I took them I took them with me and you know I had an okay okay time like university was was a great time but um progressively over time 
um, my drinking just became more and more uh, frequent. And I was in Newcastle, so I could hide it quite well. Um, you know, there was, we went out clubbing probably seven you know, days or seven nights a week kind of thing for, for periods of time. And in first year, that was great. But then over time, you kind of, you know, people are beginning to sort of focus in on their course and and things like that. And um, I didn't. I just sort of carried on, carried on drinking. Um, I managed to get my degree, but um, I don't really know how. And I sort of, you know, it wasn't really anything that I particularly enjoyed. I sort of got it and, and it was kind of, and that was it. Um, but actually, um, again, sort of the, you know, being in Newcastle and experiencing that helped me sort of um, help add to, to who I am now. Because when I was there, I worked as a, I worked as a, a, a temp job as a young person's advisor um, on a support line where you um, teenagers could call in or could call or web chat and all these things. And you, we'd, you, know, you get sort of advice, provide advice and signposting about a range of issues, you know, for, you know, mental health, sexual health, homework, jobs, everything like that. And and that job kind of changed a lot, um, a lot for me. But, you know, as with everything, because of my drinking at the time, it, you know, I didn't I didn't keep it for for very long because of um it was a temp job and I, you know, would be hungover and not and call in sick and things like that. Yeah. Um but the, the drinking was you know, like I mentioned before, it was just a massive escape. Like, and the problem is, the more I drank, you know, the situations that I ended up getting into were bad, and that meant I ended up always drinking, wanting to drink more to escape, to yeah. escape from things. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know, I know that you you said that it was some like really bad um experiences whilst you're at, at uni some you know, bad things that situations you said they got into and would you want to talk about that or is is that okay to talk about yeah sure um so it's um so in my in my first year i think i think it was like in the first year after the first i came back after christmas and this wasn't really when my you know my drinking was you know not really like that bad it wasn't like a you know it was just kind of like a what you call a stereotypical student you know going out that sort of stuff I wasn't sort of wanting to do it all the time but I I came back and I was came back early a bit earlier um and I went out um to you know there was nobody in my halls in my flat in my halls I went out to a club with a friend um you know was drinking obviously and then um and then, you know, I was chatting to a guy and then it, it's hard to remember fully still, but that, you know, I have like chunks, but there was a point where looking back, I realized there was a massive difference between how I was feeling before and how I was feeling after. And, you know, and next thing I know, you know, the sort of next memory I have, I'm back, uh, well, I mean, driven back to my halls by this guy. And then, um, and then I was, you know, like I told it was raped by the guy. Um, I didn't want to, I can remember saying no, but I can't remember a lot else. And, you know, I just remember being 
feelings of being scared and you know pain quite quite you know sort of yeah really scared I suppose and and the thing is is that I because of the drug and and things like that I didn't really remember anything for for a while like I kept having like little flashbacks here and there over time and and then slowly things sort of uh Piece, piece together and you know this guy whether it was planned whether he I, I don't know I could you know look back and try and dissect it loads of times but it it just there's kind of no point now I and um you know I didn't I didn't report it or anything because by the time I kind of remembered kind of felt like I didn't see there was any point in doing it I couldn't tell I couldn't tell you who he was I couldn't tell you his name anything um, I could just remember, you know, what he did, but um, and then also I was, you know, I was ashamed. I was a bit like, you know, if I reported it, then I'd have to people have to know and all these kind of things. And and so what I did, unfortunately, was I just carried on drinking and I carried on going out. And so that risky behaviour that, you know, carried on sort of risky behaviour, which actually eventually ended up with this, a similar thing happening again um you know about a year or so later so it kind of happened twice it was a different guy but the same sort of thing happened don't really remember much drink has been spiked but at yeah. that point I was probably really drunk anyway not that that's an excuse but the you know the drink you know my drink was spiked and then you know I kind of have flashbacks of what what he, what you know he made me do and then then left and then I didn't report that again because I was kind of a bit like I don't I don't really know I think I was just my my head at the time was just I thought I was fine and I thought it was okay I thought it was in control and everything but actually what I did was what I was doing was just drinking um more and more I was still holding down you know friendships and I wasn't drunk you know all like in the day you know it wasn't, you know, like waking up drinking all that kind of stuff. I was just, you know, whenever I went out, I went out and drank really hard. And I thought um, that was the best way to to cope and escape. But it just ended up being a, a massive, a massive problem. And um, yeah, so uni was, you know, with the exceptions of those kind of things, uh, the, those events like university was was okay it taught me a lot I had I had some really good times I had some really good times when I was drinking but I also had some really awful times and I had worse times sort of later on you know I got a degree I kind of got a direction of what I wanted to do career-wise but I just didn't realize it at the time and I had you know had good friends and and things like that yeah and it's just like they're obviously such horrible things to go through and um yeah and i i can i can understand how that would then lead to you know more drinking and more escapism and um you know, that kind of spiraling out of control but I, I think it's also really important you know i know you said it yourself but um you know, it really isn't like your responsibility for something like that you know it, like you were kind of i almost got the sense you were saying oh you know i was drunk um but you know I, like i think you defended yourself a little bit and said you know that it wasn't obviously wasn't your um, responsibility or anything. I think you know if, if anyone's listening who has been through a similar experience, you know it's really not your your responsibility or your fault. No, definitely, and I think that's something that people think. You know, some people, you know, some people can think, and I did for a bit, and and I suppose it it came out. And I didn't even realize that I was 
you know there's still the element of questioning myself but it it wasn't it wasn't my fault and 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 it's nobody's fault whoever if it ever you know anybody's had that happen then it's it's not their fault as well there's nothing that you can do that can justify um that that happening and and it's important for people to realize it it's important for people to you know report it as well because you know what i didn't realize at the time is that you know you can report it and you you know you know you can have as much control of what happens over you know as as you want kind of thing and um you know and it can prevent something like that happening again to to somebody else but just at the time i wasn't you know i was, I was doing a law degree as well so i was a bit like yeah, you had a lot on what were people like what are people going to think it you know impacted a lot of my it knocked my kind of myself you know how I looked at myself my self-worth and things like that you know is that how I'm seen is that how I'm seen when I go out is that you know all these different things mm-hmm. um and and yeah my head was a you know not really realizing it properly at the time it was a complete it was a complete muddle but I just kind of got through it just carried on you know still you know sort of trying to do the things that I wanted to do and it you know it didn't impact me on a daily basis um whatever the drug was that I was given like it just made things come in like you know tiny little tiny little flashbacks but then um and then interesting look my first job after university was working in two prisons in the northeast um and and that was almost like a, I'm gonna you know I can do a job I can go in there um you know I can sort of prove myself prove other people wrong and and you know I went in and I, you know I did a job in there sort of supporting people employment and training sort of mentoring and things like that and and again, like all these different things sort of led up to what I'm doing and doing now. But then after my, after it was a fixed term contract, it was a project. Um, and then after that, I went back home uh, to Derby. And that's where like my drinking kind of really just, you know, just got completely out of hand. I was, I was temping, I was applying for jobs in London, you know, I was getting, you know, doing assessment days and interviews in London and stuff. Um, and then, you know, also looking at different bigger cities like Manchester and things like that. Um, but my drinking just kind of was slowly getting out of control. And, yeah. you know, I would be missing work again, losing jobs, picking another job up, you know, sort of thing. I was, you know, at my parents, so I didn't really have to think too much about, like, um, money and things like that, be at my mum's house or my dad's house. And, you know, so I can't really, like, picture how it all kind of happened, but eventually it just, I was just on a massive downhill slope in it. Yeah. And, I've, I, I have a similar struggle with remembering like the kind of chronological order of, of things when I was at my like lowest. Um, but I, I do know, I, I know you mentioned there was some, some, you went, you were sent to hospital, weren't you on, on Christmas day once. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is sort of when my drinking was, you know, got uh, really bad. Um, and 
I was getting to the point where I would, you know, I could easily be drinking sort of 20, 24, 7. And I was getting to the point where I just wanted to drink to the point of blackout and then not regain consciousness. It wasn't like I was actively wanting to, to you know, to, to die or anything. But I just didn't also just... I didn't really feel like I could die because I didn't really feel like I was living in a way. I was just existing. I was literally just trapped. And um, my dad had got away for Christmas and I was at his house and I was supposed to be going over to my sister's, I think, or my mum's um, on, on Christmas Day. But again, somehow I managed to accumulate a massive amount of wine, which... I don't really know how I managed to do it. I can't remember all of it, but um, because, you know, people were trying to restrict my access to alcohol. Um, obviously, I didn't turn up at my, my mum's or my sister's, so they came over and they found me in, unconscious in, in bed. And then, um, you know, it was Christmas morning and they called an ambulance and I was rushed into hospital and then I was placed on a liver ward. Um, and then I was... Um, on a liver ward for, for a week. I was I think, 27, 28 maybe. So, you know, I was on a ward with four guys who were nearly twice my age. And there was me sort of, I was on a drip. Um, you know, they were having to do scans of my liver and things like that. Um, and it was, it was horrible, but still my family supported me. They came in and visited me in hospital and all these, you know, my mum, you know, got me like new pajamas to make sure I was comfortable and food and all these kind of things. And it was, you know, a, but, but still with all of this, you know, with all this sort of kindness and love and stuff, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And I think my, the worst thing that kind of happened was my mum said, I think it was Christmas morning, my mum said, as I was on a hospital bed at some point, again, I don't really know where in the hospital, so if you don't stop, you're gonna you're gonna die. And I just said, I don't care. I, you know, I don't care. I want to, and you know, and I suppose in that second, I probably did because I just you're so lost and confused when you're in that sort of state that it's not it's not a fun place to be. But and and you just again, it's just escapism. It's it's trying to escape and. You know, you think it's fun at first, and then it, and then it will slowly take hold. And then, yeah, I was on a liverboard for a week in my late twenties, and then, and the stupid thing is that after all of that, you know, I got discharged just before New Year's Eve. Had a, you know, sober few days, and then um, I'd been referred to an alcohol nurse. And I remember when she called me to make my first appointment, I was looking around my house or the house, my bedroom for um money to go out and buy more alcohol the whole the whole thing getting rushed to hospital being unconscious being on a drip having my liver scans having been told I have a fatty liver all these kind of things no impact I just wanted to carry on carry on drinking and I and I did um for a certain you know probably for about a year or so maybe more I was offered rehab turned it down I was too scared. I was scared of rehab because I didn't really know if I could could stop. Um, and I don't. I think I knew that I didn't really want to at the time. So it was almost going to be, you know, like a real 
Svalga. And the, and the thing is that, um, that I did, that I, all the way through my drinking, I used the fact that I'd been um, raped as the excuse that was all yeah. the time. And I used that excuse so many times that if it was a record, it would have literally worn out. If it was tape, you would not yeah. be able to hear that excuse anymore. You know, I would use anything in a way to justify my my drinking because that's you know all I wanted to do. But yeah, yeah, and I, honestly, Rob, like I um I had my mic muted, but I was choking up a little bit when you said about the you know the host the hospital ward and and your your mum asked you said you were going to die and you said that you know, you don't, you don't care. Cause I've, I've been there myself. I've, I'm choking up again saying it. I've been there myself. Whereas, you know, um, I've been telling my mom that I want to die and, and, uh, and it was the truth. And, you know, it's so like, I, um, you know, I've, I've been there and I, I got a bit emotional when you said, I'm going to hold myself back, but you know, yeah, the, the fact that you've been through that and, um, you know, and my next question is, you know, you know, how do things start to turn around? And the fact that they have started to turn around is just incredible. Like your story is so inspiring to me. Um, I say, well, things did not turn around because I wanted them to. I can tell you that. Like, I'm, um, I'm, I, you know, I go to, go to AA and things like that. And I often hear stories about people that have decided to come or decided to go to rehab. And I always think, oh, gosh. I was never that person. I was kind of, um, again, it was my, it was really my family. They kind of, um, they forced me. So I was at a point where my mum didn't want me in her house. My dad didn't want me in his <laughs> house. My sister didn't want me in her house. And I was sleeping in my car on my dad's drive. Um, and he was trying to drop me off at a hostel, but they were full. And so I was literally just sleeping in my in my car i think it was a coarser so it wasn't particularly big but again if i if i had alcohol i didn't really care didn't care where i was yeah. as long as i had alcohol that was the that was all i wanted um yeah so it got to the point where basically my family still loved me but they just didn't want me around and and to be honest, that was the best, that was the best thing. And then like, my family were really kind and really helpful and really nice a lot through my drinking. You know, they were really angry at me a lot of the time and disappointed and things like that. But in a way that kind of allowed me to continue my drinking, not through their fault uh, or you know, not actively their fault, but it's just, just how it is. And um, again, my mum used to always say, I love you, but I don't like you. And that always, I always remember her saying that, and that kind of um, fits in, you know, sticks in my head. Sorry, not fits in. It sticks in my head. Yeah, I think that's an interesting phrase to use um, because, you know, she did that. I think that was bang on true. I think my family loved me, but they definitely did not like me. I was stealing from them. I was, I destroyed, you know, ruined my dad's sixtieth birthday. I was. I was just not, I wasn't a nice person. And um, I eventually went to um, AA. Um, My mum took me to my first meeting because I didn't want to go on my own. And that was kind of the road for me to start. And and sort of why I was talking about how I felt so out of place when I was a child 
and at, even at uni like it was the first place for me where I actually felt like I belonged somewhere because I was surrounded by people who knew exactly what it was like to drink the way I did like you know because I could be <clears throat> looking back I could be in a bar full of people in Newcastle and think you know and you know you you know be with friends and stuff and be surrounded by loads of people but actually realize that I was completely on my own because how I was how I felt inside me how my brain was thinking was completely different to how everybody else was and and for the first time you know sort of going you know going going into the rooms they I was with people that kind of knew what it was like and it was the first time I felt any kind of real connection and it you know it was difficult again I can't can't really remember what it was like in the first few you know sort of weeks months year I suppose of of sobriety I picked up after two weeks because I was just going to meetings I wasn't really doing anything else wasn't engaging with anyone I wasn't you know doing the things that they recommend and I got this um, app counting the days of my sobriety and that was the worst thing that I did because <laughs> the more the more the days increased the more pressure I felt um and I just got to a point where I was like oh everyone's looking I've got really paranoid like everyone's looking at me waiting for me to pick up to mess up again that's what I do I'm the one in the family that messes up so I know in my head again such skewed thinking in my head I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to start drinking again and that will save them like the stress and the worry of having to wonder when am I going to mess up I'll just do it now straight away get it out of the way for them and then and then they don't have to be sort of worried about it um and then I sort of had a not very good two weeks and then went back um to the meetings and then now I think and and now yeah eight eight years it is sober so yeah wow it's kind of it's interesting you just kind of you don't it's hard to sort of think about everything that I've done but you know there's been loads of things that have been you know interesting and great over the years and you know having those meetings has been really good and and I always felt really guilty because I you know when I was working in prison I wasn't at my best and so now I've been able to help facilitate like meetings in in prison um and and things like that it's given me like a lot of opportunity and you know I met my you know the guy who who's like, like sort of my best friend you know I know him from from meetings and they really good 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 friends from from meetings and you know do stuff that's not sort of program AA related you know with them have a have an have a normal life and I'm quite happy you know some people like to protect their you know their sprite you know their sprite their anonymity which I completely <clears throat> which I completely respect I totally understand um you know some people do jobs or in situations where it's just not good for them to to do that or it would yeah that's all for them but for me I kind of I don't know sometimes I think I'm a, I can be a bit foolhardy I will just say or be honest too quickly um but I think for me especially you know now the work I'm doing the research that I want to do and the kind of promotion of mental health I think it's important for me to be able to say yeah I'm an 
know, I'm an alcoholic and, you know, you know, I had a really crap time. I can't, I can't, I can't drink. Well, I could drink, but I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, and because then if somebody is going through an issue or if somebody knows of somebody is going through an issue, then I think it's nice to be able to, to have it out there. And I think it's a good example. It's good to see that for people who are struggling or who has a family member that's struggling to see that, you know, it can be, it can be done. It's difficult, but it, you know, it can be done. And, you know, you, you, you don't do it on your own. You sort of have to, you know, you sort of engage and, and start asking for help and, those sorts of things and yeah you know it's not it's not great like not every day is is amazing but it's a whole lot better than sleeping in my my, my car yeah you know, I had no, no job no real you know I had a few friends and they were probably people that I knew that was down in London or I could distance myself to hide it you know I was sleeping in my car and all these kind of things and yeah. now you know I've got I've got a, more, a mortgage, which you know uh, is is good. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, got a mortgage flat um, job. You know, managed to do studying, trying to do more study, but you know, I've got friends and I've got um, family, and I've had opportunities to like you know meet more great people, like you know, like you and and you, you know, it's okay, and um, <laughs> like other kind of. You know, have other opportunities and and be able to do something that I didn't ever really imagine for myself. But but yeah, it got it got really it, yeah, it was really rubbish for for quite a long period of time. And I think you kind of when you're in that, you just think it's never this is never going to end. And I think that's why I just wanted to you know to um you know, to pass out and never kind of regain consciousness because I just thought, I can't see how this is ever going to get better. Yeah. But, but it did. And, you know, they say in AA, this too shall pass, which is which is so true. And I think it's so true, you know, on so many levels, you could use it if you're in a queue. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you've got a queue for long, you'd be like, this is going to pass. It's not, yeah. it's not for long. Or if you're feeling really awful, having a really bad few days and say, you know, this will pass, this will pass. Maybe I've just got to stay in this. I've got to experience it. And then I will, um, you know, it will, you know, things things will move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's been an interesting, uh, an interesting few, few years, but I'm, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm glad that I've had them in a way. I don't know. Yeah probably the thing that you, people expect here but I I would probably change some of it but I wouldn't change all, all of it and mm-hmm. you know a lot of it is just kind of you know things happening and making those decisions reaching out for help I think isolation is a big is the worst thing if for somebody if you know you just need to ask ask for help and and you know you can you can get it and I think that's why you know, your podcast with all these different people and, you know, the website, Instagram and all the different charities and, and events and things are so important now because I think, um, you know, it is about asking for help and and accepting it as well. Because I think I got, you know, I was offered help a lot 
but I just I pushed it away. Um, partly because I didn't want it, partly because I didn't think I was worth it. But um, you know, looking back, you know, I, I, what a, one memory I have is at eight o'clock on a weekday morning when everybody else is going to work and things, I was sat on my bed at my dad's curtains drawn or they were always closed watching Frasier drinking red wine from a bottle and I was drinking and I've been drinking so much or I've been drinking all the way through the night that I ended up being ill so I'd take a swig I'd run to the bathroom I'd be ill I'd come back and i repeat the same thing and the only reason I stopped for a period of time for like maybe half an hour an hour was because I didn't want to waste the wine and that was literally my thinking was not I need to stop because look at what I do to my body I've got to stop because I'm, I'm wasting that wine and um I have to say now I can never I can't watch Frasier anymore yeah 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 and it's such a it is when you look back at stuff it is um amazing to see the kind of contrast and going back a bit I, I think it's such an ad- admirable trait um that you you use your past experiences the negatives in your life to actually create like what you do now and to help other people and to you know support that help seeking and um you know i think i think that's such an the fact that you can be honest and say that you, know, you went through all this i feel like people get shocked at how open i am about my past as well because people again you people expect like oh you have an eating disorder and stuff like i feel like people are scared to talk about that kind of thing um, but it creates, and I imagine you're the same. You actually said so yourself that people come to you, but the, it creates this, I get guys coming to me and messaging me and, and saying that, you know, they haven't spoke to people about it before, but they think they have some kind of issue with their eating and I can help, you know, yeah. signpost and, and stuff and, and having that honesty and also the honesty that, like, like you said yourself with that, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, like you're not completely fine like you do still you know have you know wobbles and, and struggles yeah it's um yeah I think that's the thing that people think you know when you you know say somebody's so long sober or something that like everything's now perfect you know it's kind of still got stuff that I you know need to think about my head always feels like it's going faster than like anything else so I'm always you know, I find it hard to sometimes switch off and relax and things like that. And, you know, I'm constantly sort of saying yes to different things. And um, like for a long time, I felt like I was catching up. I had like probably nearly, you know, six to eight years of what I felt was I missed life. And, you know, I felt like I've been sort of on a constant catch up recently. But, um, you know, I'm sort of working on that. Um and you know they say it's like it's progress it's not it's not perfection I can't I'm never going to be perfect and I make mistakes you know sometimes I'm you know still not a nice person I can be snappy and things like that and you know you're a nice person (laughs) to try I still try and make sure that I can yeah I think you know making amends saying sorry to people if you have done something wrong that's really important that's kind of what what it's it's taught and And it's funny, that embarrassment thing, it's almost like when I was talking about when I was, you know, at school and people call me gay and things. And then now, you know, I'd be like, I, you know, it's a lot of time, I have to admit, it's a lot of time when I'm in the gym and I I associate so much like, like 
people who are in the gym, like bookmies and everything, um, with like the people at school. So you know, I'll talk and I'll and I'll say something, and I sometimes I think to almost not that I need to tell them, but if it came up, I almost hide the fact that I'm gay, and because I'm kind of a bit like, you know, what what will they think? What will they think? Kind of thing, and I still have to get sort of talk to myself and say don't care what they think if they think it's an issue then they're you know they're not they're not for for being bothered with like it's not bothered and I kind of think I have to think about that sometimes with you know if I mention again I don't mention it all the times often people will be like oh why don't you drink all that kind of thing um and and I'll instead of just saying you know before I'd be like oh I'm on medication or I just don't like the taste but now I'm, like, I'm, an, I'm an alcoholic um so I can't um and you know there were times when I'd be like oh gosh what would they think that I'm an alcoholic and I, I don't care because it's, it's part of me it's a part of me is it's not who I am but it is a, a part of me I'm not I'm not just an alcoholic I'm not just gay I'm not just this I'm not just that you know I'm not just somebody who was bullied and not just somebody who was raped I'm just I'm just I'm just me now it all sort of makes up who I am and it's and I've been really lucky to be able to sort of move it into a direction where you know I was able to do this masters and and things all all these different bits and bobs that I hadn't even thought about whilst all the drinking and everything else was going on like working for the advice line working in a prison you know some of the temping jobs and you know volunteer work that all helped me get onto my masters when I realized that that's what I wanted it's, it's weird how things like that work out isn't it I think it's you're kind of um you follow your guts with little things sometimes you just think oh I really enjoy I enjoy doing this or I want to do this and then yeah. you realize shit maybe I should just do that <laughs> like maybe that should just be the thing that I do and it's interesting I started um, doing a psychology masters and I wanted to do forensic psychology because a forensic psychologist worked in prison and this guy that I worked with he was sort of looking at some different um courses and stuff and he went oh have you seen this course and it was like this you know this this masters in counseling and psychotherapy and I was like oh and then I basically looked at it was like actually this is what I want to do more I want to work with people more with psychology it's it's so I don't you know anybody who is <laughs> any kind of psychologist that's chartered you know clinical forensic and everything like I hats off to them there's so much work involved but with this one I was like you know I was like realized actually I want to work with people I want to help with people I want to be able to do I applied again I never think that I'm gonna get anywhere um I got an interview I was interviewed and um you know again didn't think it went well but then got on and and the funny thing is my clinical supervisor was my program lead and I used to talk to her and I used to say and I talked to my friends like every year I'm convinced that there's going to be an admin error would come up and they'd realize that I wasn't supposed to be on the course and that was and that and that was the same when I was doing my third year research project for some reason I couldn't quite get it into my head that I was doing this that I was able to do this that people thought I was as good at it I think you know over the years with drinking and you know bullying different things despite having really supportive family and friends like myself sort of concept you know myself with is 
is still quite quite low and that's something that I realized through through my qualification um and that's something that I really want to help you know other people with um you know through counseling and things like that because I think it's you know it's really important that people see the value in you know what they do no matter no matter what what they're doing you know you could be doing a master's you could just be you know you could be doing anything really and you know just giving it a go I think um I've been trying to do that a lot with like exercise and sport like I was never very good at PE um and things like that and you know I've mentioned you know I've kind of associated with different things but you know I've done I've entered like ex-runner obstacle runs I've done a couple of half marathons 10ks 5ks you know and I'm not the, you know I'm not the fastest I'm never going to be like in the top probably 100 or whatever but sometimes I guarantee I you're like, faster than me so <laughs> we won't test that but um <laughs> I, sometimes I just think I don't care like some people can get really competitive and be like oh I'm faster than you I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that and literally like if I can get around it I'm happy because I wouldn't have ever thought about doing that and the biggest thing that I did I signed up to ultra white collar boxing which was the most but again this is me I, I don't just do one thing so I it was the busiest period at work in September because I worked at university I'm starting my master's in in counseling and psychotherapy so that was a lot of stuff going on and that was the time that I did the white collar boxing so I was doing like training as well in the evening and so I don't ever just think oh no just do one thing at a time um and that that was it was really scary not because of being punched or anything like that but literally I was stood in a ring you know in like a vest and shorts in like a massive room with loads of people like watching I lost I'm rubbish I was not very good at boxing I'm never going to be a boxer I don't really think I've got the mindset for it I wasn't bothered about winning I didn't want to particularly punch the other person too much or anything but I literally just had to to do it because I was nervous about doing it and I was really scared about doing it but I thought like try and be a bit of a grown-up about this Rob like you can do this and if at any point you want to not do it anymore you you say I'm not going to do it anymore like nobody it was like like this thing in it and it was a real challenge but I managed I managed to do it I was really proud I got a black eye which I've never had (laughs) like one of the things and like my friends came and supported me and it was awful it was an awful boxing match I yeah. don't think I did any kind of punches I was exhausted yeah. I feel like we spoke about this before because I did this I had the same thing where um and it was again it was really stressful for me because we I did it through um uh, university when I was at Durham they have this thing called aggression sessions which is like a boxing thing they do every year and actually they're doing um because they can't do the actual boxing this year they're doing like a live thing online which I'm, I'm helping out with and um, which yeah. is exciting um but the yeah i did the same thing i did the the boxing match and part of it like they do like the whole um like upcoming stuff like the like the the build-up so they have like a like a, a thing where you to go and take your top off and get weighed in front of people and, and that oh, i had to do that with an eating disorder <laughs> and like obviously a heart like horrendous um, i remember i i would i actually was in like good shape and then about 
two or three weeks before because I knew the weigh-in was coming up. I just went into this spiral of binge eating and actually ended up putting on loads of weight. And then uh, it doesn't, it's a different thing. But yeah, I did the fight as well. And exactly the same as you, I am not a boxer. Um, I lost on points. I, I all like the only thing I can remember is like every time I hit the guy, I felt bad. Like my, in my in my chest, I was like, oh shit! Like did I did that hurt? Or like I, I and I thought how and I like I could see him throwing punches at me. And then, yeah. and just like the, like he just was trying to hurt me. Like I could see it in his eyes. Like he's trying to hit, like as, as you do in a boxing fight. But for me, it was just so, I was like, I, 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 I didn't throw hardly any punch in the first round because I was like, I just don't, I don't want to hurt this person. And then I thought, okay, I should probably throw some punches. And then it, for me, it was, we did three rounds and I, I had trained so much that um, I was really fit at the time. And I, I was, I remember I was barely sweating at the end, at the end of the third round, like when it finished, because I'd barely done anything because I didn't want to hurt him. Um, <laughs> so I ended up, I ended up just losing on, um, on, on points um, because of that. But yeah. It's a difficult sport. Like, I used to think, oh, it's just hitting people, but crikey, it's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of footwork and stuff. But the, the, my biggest, the biggest thing that I worried about, because my friend was like, my friend said to me afterwards, looked so nervous walking in your head was down and I and it wasn't anything to do do with the uh I mean I was nervous but the walkway that they had was like perspex and there was and it was dark and there's all these lights so I was the things that I was so nervous about was veering off the walkway not seeing where I was walking and sort of falling off into like the, the you know onto the floor basically looking like an idiot <laughs> even got to the ring and then I kept during training, kept getting my foot caught on the rope, on the, the rope that came around. So my, the main focus that I had before even thinking about the boxing was literally just walking in a straight line and then getting into the ring and then just hoping that that all went, went okay. Went okay. <laughs> and then, you know, again, I, I said to my friend, like, oh, you know, it'd be nice if he wins because he, he's done like a lot of work. He's really training hard. <laughs> and they were like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not that's not what you're supposed to think, but um, mm. yeah. But I was really proud that I I did it, and yeah, I'm, I'm never gonna do it. Again. You know, I quite I, I do like the boxing training apart from burpees, but um, I like um, that kind of thing. But I would never, I just don't have that sort of thing in me. I don't. I'm not really that competitive. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I'm I'm the same as you. Um, Rob, we've been speaking for an hour now, and I'm, I'm always afraid that I don't want the podcast to go on for a crazy long amount of time. So I'm going to start to to wrap us yeah. up. And I have um, the closing three questions that I ask everybody. So, um, number one, are you ready? Yeah. A person, either real or fictional, who has inspired you in your life. Is it, uh, this, was, this was like a really tough one because it's like, I'm really indecisive. So this is like the worst thing. Now I'm going to have to go with, I suppose, the people that were two in a way, um, but uh, the, um, Bill and Bob, and they're the people who um, they sort of came, developed, they set up, they're the founders of AA. Um, okay. And I find that really inspiring and I hadn't even really realized it until I was thinking about it because um you know they they went you know they went very well they got together they developed something and it 
spread and it's you know and it's really helped it's not you know it's not for everyone some people don't, don't like it but for me and the people that I know it's really really helped and so to be able to sort of do that and go out on a limb and kind of put it out there and test it and yeah yeah I think that yeah two yeah two guys who were who were ill just came up with something together and have helped like millions of people yeah and it kind of makes me you know and I didn't even think till the other day that you know my doctor I want to kind of come up with something new and stuff and I'm like you know a bit nervous will it ever happen and it might and it might not but you got to try and if like they didn't try then you know so many people wouldn't be be well so um but yeah probably the, the, the good answer good answer um okay second question is a moment in your life that you didn't like at the time but you know now that positives came from it <laughs> there are tons listening <laughs> to you the the the, the the things that i've just been talking about um i suppose that can be the answer isn't it that you know everything that you've 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 been through and yeah, drink, coming out it's this it's this funny thing that people say in meetings like i'm really grateful that i'm an alcoholic and it's not that you're grateful that you you're an alcoholic um, i'm grateful that i'm alcoholic and in in the program because like you kind of there's so much that really changes your your thinking and stuff like that so in a way if i'm not you know, I kind of think, oh, what if I was, you know, what if I could drink normally? What if this didn't happen? What would have happened? You know, what would my, what would my life be like? Um, so, yeah, probably all that sort of stuff that, that went on in a, in, a, in a sort of a capsule because it's kind of helped me be where I am now. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the reason I, I said this on on most of the the pods, but the reason I love that question is because I think it, it shows people that you know you can go even if you're in that kind of difficult position now listening to this, you know, you come out of it and actually usually people you know every time I ask that question people say you'll tend to say oh it was that time when my mental health was really bad, but actually now I'm I'm glad that it because it taught me all these new things it kind of forced me to learn how to like, understand myself etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, I I I, th- I think that's a really good question and a great answer again. So the final question is a phrase to live by. Um, I think uh, the one that I mentioned probably before, like this, this too shall pass because it it you know it it does and it may not happen straight away, but it it will pass and it will pass because you know time is constantly moving forward and so it's especially bad you know when you're having a rubbish day I think we've spoken about it before you know like yeah you're having a rubbish day sometimes you've just got to just sit in that rubbish day you know do some self-care stuff do you know watch telly you know do whatever you like to do and it will and it will pass um um and it definitely has for me but there's tons of phrases and stuff like in you know like uh, keep it in the day you know don't don't try and jump you know don't predict what's going to happen and um also my mum always always says my mum seems to be coming out with lots of catchphrases in this podcast um but um she always says to me (laughs) (laughs) she's as you know she was like everything happens for a reason Mm. And I'm, and at that point, I'm normally like, I have no idea what the reason is. 
Um, but yeah, normally it doesn't. But I think for me, I think when I'm feeling rubbish, <clears throat> which, you know, I have done recently over lockdown and everybody has and maybe, you know, stressed about different things, like it, yeah. it will pass. It's not, you know, this isn't, this isn't forever. And, you know, and that's, and that's true. Yeah. That's another great answer. Thank you, Rob. Um, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, Rob. Um, your story inspires me and, and I'm sorry for everyone that I choked up a little bit. I'm sorry to you that I did as well. Um, but yeah, thank you. I hope, I hope you enjoyed your time on here. Yeah, no, it's been great. Thank you very much. Good. I'm glad. Um, and everyone listening at home, thank you so much for, for being here again and listening all the way through. And I hope to see you at the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.